available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football, getting kind of interesting in some places, maybe not as interesting in others. We're going to break it all down. All 12 Pac-12 teams were in action in Week 8. My picks continue to stink, and uh, we're going to roll forward, though. If you got to you know, get a hold of us somehow, send us an e- email. We love that. Pac12podcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd rather call or text us, we haven't had a voicemail for a while, do that. Give us a call. Say, hey, what's up, guys? 424-532-0678. You can tweet us at Pac12podcast. Our website, Pac12podcast.com, where you can find all the old episodes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, all those places you can get the podcast. You can get the podcast of champions. Dave. Tell you what, actually. Actually, people out there, download every one of those podcast apps. Every single one. And subscribe to us on each one. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. What else do you have to do? Yeah. Do it right now. And you you can listen to them all. You do them all at once. You can listen to one at like one and a half speed, one at like half speed. You know, just kind of see what it, how it all comes out with the different speeds. Yeah, see if you can like mute a single audio track, only get to listen to Ryan's dulcet tones. Like, do whatever you like. I, we want them to have fun. You guys want to have fun. We want to get, you know, the numbers up there. So it's all good stuff. And tell a friend. Hey, you got a friend that likes Pac-12 football. First, send our condolences. Then say, hey, you should probably listen to the Pac-12 podcast. Podcast of champions. Exactly right. Exactly um, right. Well, I guess we got some new. Okay, so we have some kind of big. Uh, hold on. I, we have to play the sound. We have some breaking news. We have a winner. Someone won. Our dun dun dun. Po- yes. So the uh if you remember, we started a suicide pool and uh a lot of people there was a lot of carnage, I think week four or five, I forget what it was. But Mark N C he won. So he's there was only two people left, Mark N C and Mano. This week or this past week, Mark N C picked USC, got the easy win. Uh Mano uh picked Cal and uh and did not win so uh sorry mano uh you are out in second place not bad though great run and uh mark nc you win a big fat shout out here on the podcast of champions congratulations yeah yeah mark if you want to like write an email or something whatever it can be about any subject you want you want your voice heard send it in we'll, yeah. we'll read whatever it is leave us a voice on air leave us a voicemail we'd play anybody voice anyone's voice yeah, no, this makes you no different from anybody <laughs> else who emails in or leaves a voicemail on the podcast of champions but we promise about any subject any subject you want send it in yeah but very cool and thanks to matthew for compiling everything so we're now done no more uh no more suicide pool but hey you know what uh what can we do that was great you know, it was nice. I'm glad we had some fan participation. I thought it would kind of trickle down a little bit more. It was just sort of like there's huge carnage weekends. And then it was like all of a sudden there was from 300 people down to like 20. 
Um, So that was kind of interesting. The uh, the Pac-12 football players of the week. Uh, Justin Herbert, you might have heard of him. He's a quarterback for I guess it's Oregon. Is he Oregon State or Oregon? He's Oregon. Um, there's two good quarterbacks in the state of Oregon. <laughs> I I, I always forget which one plays for Oregon and which one plays for Oregon State. Yeah, he had a huge game, but big win, uh, comeback win over Washington. So no no question there, he's going to be the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. Bradley and I, the defensive lineman for Utah, absolutely crushing out there. Uh, three sacks. Uh, you know, the, so Utah had three sacks. He had them all. So that's a pretty mm-hmm. good day. Daniel Rodriguez. So special teams must have been slow again. Daniel Rodriguez. I made sure I read all the bullets this time. He had nine punts. Uh, there was one like 51-yarder, two of them inside the, the 20, but there was no fake punt or anything crazy. So it was just kind of a slow... Uh, Slow special teams week, I guess. Uh, for linemen, for Oregon's right tackle, uh, Calvin Throckmorton, which is that's a pretty awesome name. It's uh, very good. I think he graded out like 100%. And he started like 35 straight games or something for the Ducks. So uh, big win there. Bradley and I got the defensive lineman. We already talked about him. And then Kyle Phillips, the uh, freshman receiver for UCLA, had a couple of touchdowns. Uh, so he gets the uh, freshman uh, Pac-12 player of the week. Great stuff. Yeah. Congratulations to all. Yeah. Any other topics you want to get to before we jump into games? Um, no. No. Is no. There nothing. Uh, nothing on this list is that interesting to me. We mentioned. Did we mention Jacob Breland? We mentioned his injury, but he did get. He's out for the season for Oregon. I think. We, I think we had that at the the right before we recorded last time. Okay. Um, Connor Halliday dropped some bombs about Tracy Clay's and that whole thing. Oh yeah, what was so? What was that? That was uh... so he said that there was a feud between Tracy Clay's and Darcel McBath. Uh, Darcel McBath is, hang on, he is the current. I want to say defensive backs coach. Uh, well, he was the cornerbacks coach, and now he's the interim defensive coordinator. He claims that there was a bit of a feud, and uh, to the point where they were like questioning each, like Darcel was questioning Clay's in the middle of practice, and then finally Clay's went with, you know, if you don't like the way I'm running things, I'll, you know, f and leave. Uh-huh. Um, and then and left. Noth- <laughs> yeah, nothing changed. But um, Leach is apparently disputing that claim, so I don't know. That certainly sounds like something that might, you know, cause a mid-season departure. Yeah. So insubordination that sort of deal so anyway he wasn't doing a good job they're still not doing a great job but they were at least holding down colorado this past weekend so um yeah happy trails tracy clays nice and uh darnay holmes his father came out and said uh, i think he told greg biggins right that he wasn't considering transferring so there was a rumor out there or whatever right 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 right. but not really that a a rumor that you retweeted from the uh at pac 12 podcast handle did oh yeah well we, we know it's me because you never use it. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be me. Exactly. Um, well, let's let's uh, tell everyone about my bookie first. So picks this week wasn't very good. Dave was three and three. I was two and four. Whatever strategy I'm using at this point is not working. Um, that Dave still hasn't had a winning weekend since week two. <laughs> I had one week four, but I've had losing weekends uh, since then. So not too good. So, you know, when you go to my bookie, Make sure you don't listen to what we are saying, especially don't listen to what I am saying, which is very frustrating because we've had such good runs of picks and this year is just God awful. Uh, But, you know, we look forward to weekends in the fall, even more so 
Because you get rewarded by something you love, college football games. We love them. We're running out of them. We don't want to run out of those things. So from Pac-12 after dark, late on a Saturday to the Thursday and Friday matchups, we all tune in for. There's nothing like checking out football here on the Conference of Champions, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget, uh, where you're betting is just as important on who as who you're betting on. And MyBookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play and not doing so well. Like I said, you should too. So make sure you check it out. Uh, what do you what you want to do? If you join MyBookie today, they will double your first deposit using the promo code PAC12. So promo code PAC12 will activate the offer when you join MyBookie today, that's promo code PAC12. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Unless you use Ryan's picks. Right. Don't do that. Right. You don't. Yeah. You definitely don't want to use my picks. If uh, you use mine, you'll be like more or less breaking even. If you use Ryan's, um, you know, you'll have to like sell your house or something. Do you follow, like, so I'd watch other people making picks like John Wilner or some other people. And, you know, I think we've done better than most, uh, when I would compare us in the, in the previous years, I haven't been doing that this year, but are other people struggling to pick the pack 12? Cause it does seem like every, it's not even like this team plays way above its head. Uh, it's something that happens sometimes, but a lot of it is just one team just plays like crap a week. Like they could be, I I don't know I don't know what to make of it, but it's it's very. Well, I, I, Larry Scott's dream is definitely coming to fruition in the Pac-12, which is there is a lot of parity. I was looking at some statistical thing that was like um, the margin of victory in the Pac-12 is like the smallest of any in-conference like numbers for any league wow. or something like that. Um, but it's it's either them or the ACC, um, and you know those are the two worst Power Five leagues, and they're also the two most competitive Power Five leagues. Um, so I think probably playing into that, just everyone's kind of the same. So you don't have the things where you can just say, oh, yeah, Alabama's going to cover every time because they're Alabama. Um, I don't think you have that in this league. No. Because um, even Oregon will, you know, they'll play down to somebody on occasion. Though they did cover by a point. They did cover. Woohoo! I, I have Can't a new strategy. You. Otherwise, you would have been screwed. Oh, big time. Um, yeah, USC screwed me again. They've covered twice in a row. What's up with that? Uh, still not going to pick them. But here, so here's what um, I have a new strategy. So I did the Pac-12 radio show this morning, you know, Sirius XM with uh, Guy Haberman and uh, Ryan Leaf, and they're always fun to talk to. And Guy was saying something that here's what you do with the Pac-12. You can't, you have to ignore what just happened. So the previous week, just ignore it. So it, because it, you, you usually like, oh, wow, Oregon State just, killed this team they must be good and then they they suck the next week so you kind of have to ignore what just happened so i think i'm going to do that so whatever happened in week eight i am going to not take into consideration for picking in week nine we'll this that. is great this is you great like i love i love when we reach the insane theory uh, plan for how we're going to improve our picks it's always a good part of the year when it's like no no, no it, it, I ignore all weekday games and only um, count games after 4 p.m. on Saturdays. Yeah. That's what I'm doing from here on out. I like that. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in, Dave. We had no buys. Every team was in action for our Pac-12 Roundup. Bam. Um, okay. And here's the other thing. I was filling out. Did you fill out a power rankings this week? No. Tracy does it for bro. But, I mean, sometimes you just do your own, right? Like you would do. Yeah, I didn't bother this week. So, here's the thing. Like. After like the the top, 
there's top two and there's like three, four, five. You're like, okay, that makes sense. From six on, you could argue that six team could have, could be 12, you know, like, oh yeah, it's, it's, there are, there are several strong contenders for number 12 now. Yeah. I think there's seven of them. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm not kidding. Like I'm looking at number six. I'm like, you could argue uh, just a spoiler. Washington state's number six right now. They won their first Pac-12 game, and it was against Oregon State. Like, or Colorado. was it? No, Colorado, Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Um, could you argue that they're the worst <laughs> Pac-12? Like, I don't know. You could, I guess. But uh, the 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 thing I would say is like I could argue Colorado. I could argue Arizona in their current state with Khalil Tate. Oh yeah. I could definitely argue um, Stanford for sure. Um, and I think you could still make your you know make your case for UCLA. Um, Cal in its current state oh, for yeah. sure. Um, so there's yeah, there's some real contenders. Yeah, we I think have Washington a- State is clearly out of the bottom. Okay, so that we that's fine. But Arizona, we we have number seven. Like I know. you could argue that they're twelve. So yeah, you could certainly yeah, argue not that a Washington lot of separation lower. There. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. so our uh, our number twelve team. Sorry guys, Colorado Buffalo. Yeah. They uh they got beat pretty bad by our now number six team getting their first Pac-12 win. Washington State Cougars. Yeah. Oh, this was this was horrendous. Um, and it was over early. Uh, Washington State uh won forty-one ten. It was twenty-four-three at halftime. Um, I've got to talk about it again, and I know I hammered it pretty hard last week, but I, I I've been thinking this for three weeks now, but. There is something really wrong with Steven Montez. Like, he is not playing at all like the guy we saw even through the first, I don't know, three or four games of this year. Um, I thought he was bad against Arizona, if not statistically, than just watching him. And then he was horrendous against Oregon, and he was arguably even worse in this one. Um, Threw a couple of picks, took some bad sacks, constantly just moving backwards. Um never really looking decisive. Um, he was awful. Gave him no chance to win. Um, and the Colorado flan- fans kind of clamoring for the backup. I get it. Um, he's been he's been really bad. And he's not the only, uh, again, senior quarterback that we're going to talk about. And sneak peek, it's the same ones we were talking about last week. Um, but he just gave him no chance. They they were, they had no ability to, to come back in this game because they got such bad play from the quarterback position and they actually ran the ball pretty well. Um, just couldn't get anything from Montez. Um, so they need to figure something out there pretty quick. Uh, defensively, they, it's kind of what they've done all year. They really struggled. Um, and that's just kind of been the MO for Colorado this year. It was probably what was going to happen from the beginning of the year anyway. Um, but they had a lot of issues covering this team. Uh, Anthony Gordon was pretty sharp, uh, not his best game, but pretty sharp. Um, four touchdowns for 370 yards, 51 attempts. Um, and they also ran the ball really well. I mean, Max Borgie, 12 carries for 105 yards. When you're doing that as an air raid team, you're, you know, you're, you're doing pretty well. So uh, this one was over quickly. Uh, Colorado um, looking like they don't have answers at quarterback um, and they need to figure that out. And I think um, totally justified at this point if they wanted to play for the future. Yeah, Colorado beat Arizona State in week four. Like, what? I know. Um, so, Colorado was plus 15 in scoring margin, and they had a winning record through five games. And then, and that, you know, that, that includes that loss to uh, the close loss to Arizona. 
since then, the last two games, minus 73. Um, so they're under 500 again. Steven Montez, like you said, uh, slumping one touchdown, six picks since that upset win over Arizona State. And Washington State's defense, I thought, played a lot better. Uh, the secondary had three interceptions. Uh, it's the first turnovers that the uh, Cougars had in two and a half games. And uh, Colorado only had like two explosive plays. So good play by Washington State um, defense. And uh, I, yeah, this is why Colorado is looking at like number 12 right now. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not good. They still, though, Ryan, have, have one more win than you predicted for the entire season. They, they do, but they are the bottom of the, the ranking, so I feel uh, somewhat yeah. justified, if, if you could say that. Yep. Would you think so? No? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. Probably. I think, you were, I think you might have ended up being right in spirit, even if not an exact uh, no. number. Uh, all right, let's go. This is our number 11 team. UCLA Bruins. <laughs> Um, man, they, uh, did a number, uh, this is a weekday. This is a Thursday game against our number 10 team, which I don't get cause they just played, but whatever. Stanford Cardinal. Yeah. I guess if you're counting on Stanford, getting one of Davis Mills or KJ Costello back, I think you can still justify having them ahead of UCLA because, okay. So UCLA went up to uh, Stanford and won 34, 16. So blowout. More or less. Um, but if you watch this one, and I don't want to hammer him too hard because it's a freshman playing his first game, whatever. Uh, but huge reason for that was Jack West just not being able to execute the position in any real way. Um, he made a defense that was, and I, I think I said it on the show. He sounds like the, the worst, worst ever. <laughs> one of the worst I've ever seen, especially at covering against the pass, um, and made it look lights out. Um, he took a whole bunch of sacks. Like the UCLA had seven sacks in this one. And I do mean he took them. Um, like maybe one or two of those were like, oh, the guy got there just bang, bang. But a whole bunch of it was just him sitting in there or panicking or whatever and just taking a sack. Yeah. Um, Five of them just, in the first quarter, I believe. He was so, he just looked so nervous. Like it was, it was honestly like, you know how when you're watching somebody, um, like you're watching like a TV show that uses this like cringe comedy and you're yeah. just kind of like, I can't watch this. That's how it was watching, watching Stanford. Like a public um, speaker, like in front of a big group, yeah. and they're like just awful. You know, they're off or like someone giving the speech, you know, like a, a toast yeah, yeah. or something and they're just not comfortable. Exactly. It was like that. Um, so hopefully, hopefully he has better games in his future. But that was that was one of the worst quarterback uh, game. One of the worst quarterback games I think I've seen. Um, so there was that. Um, if you put in a credible quarterback, do things change a little bit? I think UCLA's game plan will be different defensively and all that kind of stuff. But if ifs and buts were candied nuts. Um, in the end, uh, UCLA did exactly what it needed to do against a quarterback like that. They ran a super aggressive defensive game plan. Um, they did a lot of press coverage. They they moved guys up to. I mean, there there were different points where it looked like there were like nine guys just sitting in the box waiting for the run, <laughs> or re- waiting to just get into the backfield and sack this kid again. Yeah. Um, and he just wasn't able to do anything. So that was the defensive side of it. It was a pretty easy game plan for UCLA to figure that one out. And they shut down Stanford's offense with no real trouble. Uh, on the other side, um, you know, it wasn't statistically the prettiest game for UCLA. And they had a big, you know, mid-game lull. Um, but they hit some explosive plays. Joshua Kelly, I think for the first time this year, looked healthy. He was running through arm tackles and looked, you know, sort of like that guy we saw run for, you know, almost 300 against USC last year. 
Um, and then uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson I thought was fine. Uh, he threw one bad pick against zone when it looked like he probably thought it was man um, pre-snap and then um, took a couple of delayed game penalties. But otherwise, I thought he was fine, and he ran the ball really well. So it was a nice game for UCLA's offense. I just don't know how much to take from the defensive performance because they were playing such a limited, not only quarterback, Jack West, but also Stanford was starting three true freshmen on the offensive line in this one. They were down to six total scholarship offensive linemen, um, and you know they've been hit by a ton of injuries there as well. So not sure if you can take a whole lot from the defensive performance, but certainly they did the right thing against this particular team. So you can't, you know, you play who you play and, and UCLA was very clearly the better team um, on Thursday. Yeah. You can ignore the whole thing because it was happened this past week. You just ignore what happened. Yeah. No, week. like Ryan, just ignore it. I'm going to ignore. I don't even know what happened. Uh, so yep. just the C, the Colorado Washington state game. We both got that one, right? We both got this one wrong. Um, but a lot of it, to, I think a lot of the picks are like QB issues. So we didn't know if Davis Mills was going to start. We didn't know if, Dory Thompson Robinson was going to start. And then one guy does it, the other guy does. And, you know, they get, and uh, Stanford ends up getting crushed. But yeah, seven sacks. That was crazy. 455 yards to 198. Uh, so Stanford only had nine offensive points because they had that block punt for a touchdown. But nine offensive points sounds bad, Dave. But when you think about how many drives that was, that was only 15 drives. So no, it's that's actually better than you would think, right? Like nine points over 15 drives. No, that not good? <laughs> that's awful, dude. Like what the hell? They're, Stanford's 112th in rushing this year. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, they Jack West just look just hapless. I you just feel bad. So many injuries. So both that we'll talk about Cal in a bit, but both Stanford and Cal are down to their third string quarterbacks there both offensive lines are really banged up um yeah i don't know what's going on here but another thing is just like stanford pulls out a win against uh washington and then loses to ucla after a bye week so i i don't know what to tell you nothing good what what can what, what can you say there's just like nothing you can say um all right what do we got next we have so that was our number 10 team so those teams were next to each other. Uh, our number uh, nine team, we have California Golden Bears. And they were taking on, can you believe this? Now our number eight team. That's number eight team for the Oregon State Beavers. What? Look, you know me. I'm a big Oregon State honk. Uh -huh. So this is no big surprise to me. Um, yeah, man. Oregon State. Uh, went on the road uh, to beat Cal 21-17, even had to mount a little bit of a late-stage comeback to get you know their final seven to put them over the top here. Um, huge, nice win for Oregon State. Um, and what was surprising to me watching it was even as limited as Cal was offensively, uh, this was a really nice defensive performance from Oregon State. Um, because even it's kind of the same thing as like, I wasn't expecting UCLA's defense to be able to stop anybody, but they were able to shut down a completely hapless quarterback. And it was kind of the same thing in Oregon State. You know, I think their defense is maybe a touch better than UCLA's, but still they were able to, again, shut down a, a more or less hapless quarterback situation. Um, Hamilcar Rashad uh, had three sacks, and then Bradley Sharp also had three sacks. Are my numbers right there? So I there were, there were nine total sacks 
by there were nine Oregon sacks State. and 14 tackles for loss. That's a lot of production in the backfield. Yes. Um, so Devon Modster for Cal wasn't good again, but a large part of that was um, what Oregon State was doing to him in the backfield. And it wasn't just there. Um, they were shutting down the run pretty well as well. Um, Modster was the leading rusher for Cal, 19 carries for 76 yards. He had to do a ton of scrambling. Um, but besides that, there was virtually nothing happened in the run game for Cal. Um, and uh, I, I think it was, you know, very impressive in that, right? And then I thought offensively, you know, scoring 21 points against Cal is not bad, um, especially coming a week after what did Oregon State do the previous week? Was it three points? Uh, it was seven, seven points 52 against Utah. to seven, yeah. Um, so against a similar-ish defense, um, putting together a little bit better offensive production is a nice sign. Um, I like... So are we ready to say B.J. Baylor, their third string running back, is also like a top 10 running back? He's really good. Because <laughs> he also looks really good. Um, but yeah, Oregon State did just enough offensively, um, had a nice drive at the end. Um, Modster did get hurt in this one. So it was Spencer Brash, a true freshman in there, um, trying to lead him uh, back to a win at the end. And he did not, you know, I mean, that's a tough position to be put in, um, but he did not do that. Um, so it was a, uh, and he, I think he got picked actually on the second to last drive. Um, but a really nice win for Oregon state, um, did what they needed to do. And now, all right. So three and four, right? So they need three more to get to bowl eligibility. So that's going to be at Arizona. That's winnable. They look look terrible. Yeah. Uh, Washington at home. No, Eh, no. Uh, ASU at home. Mm. Probably not. At Washington State, that's winnable. Yeah. Maybe. And then at Oregon. Okay. So probably not getting to bull eligibility this year, but four or five wins, I think that's completely on the table. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, so Cal, since Chase Garbers got hurt, uh, so two and a half games ago, basically. So there has been 10 quarters of football since he was injured. Cal scored 34 points over those 10 quarters. Um, it's just been, they still have a good defense. It's, you know, it's maybe not as good as we thought, but you know, top 20 in the country, I think it's number 20 in the country in points allowed. Um, they haven't given up more than 24 points in their last three losses, but just the offense is so bad. Uh, then monster had to go out. So they had a true freshman Spencer brash, uh, he didn't look so hot either. Um, and the Beavers, like you said, just like UCLA, the Beavers' defense kind of feasted on that with all the uh, negative plays. Um, get this, David. So who's, uh, you know who's first place in the Pac-12 North? Oregon. Yeah, like stranglehold, right? Yeah. Uh, sole possession of second place, <laughs> Oregon State. What? What? Yep. Are you, I, like, are Th- you- that's my Beavs, man. You jumped off the train. I stayed aboard. So the 52 to seven didn't make you jump. Not at all. I picked Oregon state this week, baby. You did. I got, yeah, I got, I'm, and this, so this was one I probably would have picked Oregon state because of the, the too many points, but I was just going opposite you just for that. Cause I had to try to catch up. That didn't really work. Um, so Cal hasn't posted a winning record in October since 2009. Cool. Uh, yeah. So they're 12 and 26 in, uh, in October. And uh, it's, I don't know if it's going to get, any better. Uh, do you think they got a shot at Utah this week? Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But sneak peek? No. Yeah. No, I don't. That's uh, And and if we're talking about bowl eligibility, four and three now, Cal, but they have to go at Utah. Washington State at home is winnable. USC at home, I guess, is winnable. 
um, and then at Stanford and at UCLA. So there's still a chance here. Um, those final four, that's not world beaters, um, but they're going to have to get better to to win a couple more because um, right now they look very bad. They look very bad. All right, let's move on. Uh, speaking of teams that look very bad, we have our – and somehow they're number seven. Arizona Wildcats. They came to uh, the Coliseum to take on now number three. What? USC Trojans. Yeah. Um, and they got their booties kicked. Uh, USC won 41-14. And that, like, is deceptive. Um, this was 27 nothing after three. Um, yeah. Arizona scored some junk time stuff, which I think is going to pad the stats of somebody we're going to be talking about. Um, so I want to, as I did with Colorado, I do want to touch on Khalil Tate first. Um, because it's the same damn thing that's happening with Montez, and it's the most curious thing. Um, just does not look right, is not executing the position at all like you would expect a senior to, and is doing he's doing even weirder stuff than Montez. Um, this guy, this year, I've watched him self-sack himself oh like at God. least four times, just running out of bounds like seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like you're, Dude. you're way out of, you're like running to the sideline. You could easily just huck it out of bounds and you just now, I don't know if it's no field awareness whatsoever, or if it's like, I don't want to like take the hit to my passing stats or whatever, but it's, it's not even like he's trying to make a play or whatever. It's always just kind of lightly jogging directly out of bounds. Um, you know, you know how sometimes it'll happen where a guy will take a two yard loss trying to like hit the corner just right. It's not that. It's like running directly lateral or like almost be, like at a at a at a backward degree from the line of scrimmage, um, out of bounds. It's so weird to watch. But anyway, you can't continue playing a guy who's doing that stuff. Like you really can't. Um, the issue for me is I actually haven't been impressed by been impressed by my man Grant Gunnell. Even against UCLA, I thought that was more a product. And now I am grading everything now on the Jack West scale, so clearly he's way better than that. <laughs> I just don't know if he's Jack like an immediate Yeah, I don't know if he's like an immediate like walk in and immediately just start blowing you away. I think he hit some good stats in this one just because USC was in clear like this game's over mode in the fourth quarter. Um but he doesn't blow me away either. Um, I think if there's a, a future he, starter, it, it might be somebody who's still to come here. But I don't. I, I think at this point, I don't think you can keep playing Tate because he's losing games for Arizona and yeah. making it so that they're more or less non-competitive from the jump. You know, Gunnell could have been sacked like three or four more. He got sacked once, so Tate was sacked six times. Uh, Greg Gunnell came in and, and could have been sacked like three or four more. He got sacked once. He escaped better than Tate and then did something. You know, either got rid of it or, you know, found somebody what if like when there was pressure on Tate, there wasn't any, nothing was happening after that. It was so bizarre. And Arizona was a top 10 offense coming into us 509 yards per game. Uh, like two thirds of the way through the third quarter, Arizona had 109 yards. Uh, I think they finished the third quarter with like 167 or something like that. Like it was crazy. Then USC's like pretty much everyone on USC got injured and then they put in like the reserves in the last two drives and Arizona scored two touchdowns. So they end up with like decent numbers at the end. But when the game was being contested, Arizona did nothing. And uh, I, I tweeted out like, Cleo Tate's going to get benched. He's got to get benched. And and he did. Uh, but it's funny. I talked to Jason Shear for our preview podcast and he sort of was hinting like, 
Yeah, like there's some – not all the coaches are in on Khalil Tate right now for whatever reason. And if it's – I'm not blaming Tate, but I, it just doesn't seem what he does in this offense is working. And I'm – you know, I don't know if both sides are being stubborn or what, but something something is seriously, seriously wrong. Uh, there's, I can tell you from personal experience that um, what how Tate is playing, and even when he's playing well, it's – it it th- this kind of stuff drives Nolmazoni insane. Uh. Um, so you've got to be really accurate on the short stuff. You've got to like, and it's a simple offense. And if you're the kind of guy who can just kind of sit back there and just dink and dunk, uh, Mazzoni's offense is a great fit. But that's not Tate, and it's never been Tate. And I think it's a bad fit. But I also think Tate's just I, he doesn't he doesn't even seem really engaged. Like there's some weird stuff going on there. Like to run out of bounds as much as he does, that's bizarre yeah um we gotta talk usc though um because you're right everybody got hurt everybody on this team but especially in the running back group uh marquis step stephen carr both went down in this one to the point where they were down to like something called the quincy jounty yes he's a yes. former walk-on that's i i didn't even remember he had a scholarship i did a podcast earlier and keely's like no he's on scholarship now i'm like oh yeah okay so he comes in promptly fumbles um and so he doesn't I'm not sure. Did he see the field again after that? Maybe a couple more times? I think at the very end he did, yeah. But but instead, they're like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to play our really talented two freshmen. And then Keenan Kristen comes in, and he's like the fastest dude I've ever seen on a football field. <laughs> like, I was watching that, and I'm like, am I just really tired? Like, is it just the end of a long night, and I'm just like seeing things? Or is this guy like full-on blowing away from DBs who are in a full sprint to catch him? Yeah. Just like blowing them away. Um, he had eight carries for 103 yards to close this thing out. Um, and he really did close this thing out. Like they, Arizona was not coming back. He had two touchdowns, um, one of 55 yarder. That was just amazing to watch. Um, so he's really good. I thought Keaton Slovis was fine. I mean, not his best game by any means, but, um, didn't do anything catastrophic and, and, but he was not, you know, not perfectly accurate, not hitting things the way he was right before he got hurt at the very beginning of the year. So. Um, but no, this was USC taking care of business against a quarterback who, uh, can no longer execute the position. Yeah. A guy that's like not listed on the depth chart. He's fifth string comes in and runs for a hundred yards on eight carries. You're like, okay, that's when we talk about USC being talented. That's why, like you could have guys like that. Like, and I'm not kidding. He's the fastest guy on USC. He's, he's gotta be the fastest yeah. guy on the team. Yeah. He's what probably, he's had a faster time. Like his track times in San Diego were faster than Reggie Bush's. Like he's. He could be like one of the fastest players in the Pac-12. I mean, he like as far as track times, I think he's up there. Like he set like California state records and stuff. So, um, kind of kind of crazy. I want to. So I, there was a lot of feisty defenses this week where we didn't see. You know, we saw UCLA be feisty. USC's defense was you know really aggressive. Uh, Oregon State, like people that maybe had bad weeks the week before, came back and, and had good performances. I want to. I want to get your thoughts on Arizona's defense because. I feel bad for these guys. I think they're playing pretty well. USC went three and out their first four drives, and they still were up three nothing because you know they Arizona fumbled a punt, and then USC didn't go anywhere, but they were already in field goal range. They just kicked a field goal. Um, I feel bad because I feel like this is a defense that got a lot better from that Hawaii game we saw early on, but the offense has turned the ball over. Special teams are stinking. Their punter is like one of the worst I've seen. And it's just like, it seems like these guys are put in a bad spot. I don't know if you felt that way. No, I completely agree. Um, and uh, so much of this came in the final minutes of the game where the defense must have just been completely worn down by that point. But 
I thought when this, I mean, it still felt, it felt competitive even when it was 17 nothing. I thought, because the Arizona defense was playing well. Um, and they were playing tough, and it just, you know, you can't just hold a, an offense as talented as USC's. I'm not going to say as good as, but as talented as USC's if your offense is going to do nothing on your end. Um, and the thing is, Arizona just was doing nothing. I mean, the, in the middle stage, so it was um, six plays punt, eight plays missed field goal, and then four plays fumble, eight plays punt, five plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, two plays interception, three plays punt, four plays punt in like the large middle stretches of the game. Oh, geez, yeah. You just can't do that no. um, and expect your defense to continue to play well. And I thought they played well enough that if Arizona was playing offense the way they did at the beginning of the year before Tate, and this might be something we can go back to, is Tate got a little bit dinged up um, like after the third game, I think it was. Maybe that's what's kind of limiting him now, like mentally or whatever it is. Um, but if this was the Arizona offense from the beginning of the game, from the beginning of the year, this defensive performance, I think, would have been good enough to keep him in it, and they, USC wouldn't have scored forty-one. Yeah. I mean, two of those were junk time touchdowns, where it was like, well, you know, this one's pretty much over. Um, so, yeah, I I, 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 I like Arizona's defense. They've clearly gotten a lot better from last year, but even from the beginning of this year, the way Tony Fields and Colin Schooler play, it's a ton of fun to watch. Um, but I mean, they they need more help from from whoever's going to play quarterback. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll see. Arizona, I mean, Arizona's our number seven team. I mean, they just looked – they looked like number 12 to me because I saw it in person. I was like, they, these guys are awful. Uh, but, but you could – like, I watched Stanford in person, and if Jack West starts another game for Stanford, yeah. no one's – they're not beating anybody. <laughs> and the good thing we won't know. Like, we won't know who's starting and stuff when we do yeah, it. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, um, I'm excited about that. So our number six team, we already talked about Washington State. Our number five team, this was the big marquee game. Washington Huskies. Uh, they were hosting the number one team. Oregon Ducks. All right. So this was a really fun game. Um, really competitive. Um, evenly played, I thought, on both sides. And uh, Oregon walked away with the win, 35-31. Um, they, they scored to go ahead, um, towards the end of this one. And then Washington, um, was unable to convert a fourth down, which my, what did you think of that fourth down? Did you think there was any PI on that where the, uh, uh where I think they were trying to connect with Puka Nakua and he kind of, kind of tripped, fell down, but he might've been tripped. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't think it was egregious or anything, but I, yeah, I wasn't watching it too closely. I saw it a couple of times on replay and I was, I wasn't going to be like, Oh my God, that's PI. But uh, did yeah, you think that? I, well, I thought that only because I picked Washington. Oh yeah. Um, okay. But if I hadn't picked Washington, I would have said, no, good call. Cause I picked Oregon. Um, so maybe that's why I was like, yeah, <laughs> right. that's good enough. That's fine. It's over. Um, so Washington, um, really had the beginning part of this game. Um, they had, uh, I thought a pretty good, um, first three quarters. Uh, they were up. 31 um, 28 after the end of three, but it was 31 21 um, after they connected on a field goal. I thought the offense was playing well through that point. Um, and then they just couldn't do anything in the first fourth quarter whatsoever offensively. Um, J- Jacob Eason kind of blinked a little bit, I think, in that fourth quarter. I thought he was much sharper in the early going. Um, and uh, I thought Salvan Ahmed had a good game, um, but wasn't able to do as much at the end. Um, Oregon, though, uh, Justin Herbert, I thought, was not super sharp early. 
Um, but then he picked it up late. Um, and in clutch situations, I thought he was quite a bit better. And I know clutch isn't a real thing, but, uh, he was still, I thought much better in the second half, um, finished with 24, 38 for four touchdowns. Um, it was really evenly played game. I'd watch these two teams play a lot more. I, if they want to play six times this year, I'd take that over like another UCLA Stanford game. (laughs) Like that'd be fine. Um, but it was, it was a good game. Um, and I thought, uh, you know, I don't know if, uh, I mean, Washington, I thought this was one of their better played games of the year and they still lost 35, 31. I think Oregon at this point is just a better team. Um, and I know our Washington fans have to, you know, kind of deal with that out there. Um, but Oregon looks like the one true chance at the college football playoff this year for the league. And I know Utah still out there, still lingering. Um, but Oregon, with that loss to a very good Auburn team, now looks like they're going to be the standard bearer. And if they can break through the rest of the year, I think they'll have a good enough case at the end to at least see if no other teams are, uh, if there's at least one other option who's not undefeated, yeah. um, then they'll have a they'll have a case. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought this was pretty evenly played, like almost exact time of possession, like 31 to 29. Um, little couple edges for Oregon. They were a little more disciplined. Uh, Washington had seven penalties. Oregon only had three. Oregon was a little bit better on third downs. That made a difference. I mean, Washington was only three of 13. But I feel like uh, what you were saying before, about like rushing yards and stuff, like uh, uh, like Ahmed had uh, 140 yards on 24 carries. So he you know, he had a good afternoon. It was more spread out on the, uh, the Oregon side. But it did seem like Washington played well and then sort of like, as the coming down the stretch, it was like, you're trying to hang on as opposed to just keep playing. Well, um, do you know what I mean? Like, it seemed like it yeah. got a little more conservative on offense and it was like, what do you do? It just go out there and, and try to win the game. And they, so I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of felt like they, they let Oregon back into it by, by doing that. What I, what I'm always struck by is um, not to the same extent as Stanford, because Stanford's running an offense from like 1965. Um, <laughs> But Washington, they do – it just looks like everything is a lot harder. Like, they're they're doing a lot of work to get, like, a three-yard completion. Um, you know, I, I there was one play, and I can't – I wish I ever took notes during the game. But, like, Jacob Eason drops back, and he's on the, like, left hash. And he throws all the way across the field. And it's not a swing pass. It's not anything that's like, oh, if the blocking's set up, it might turn into a long gain. No, it was just some, like, his second read or whatever – out to the sideline, all the way across the field. It had like seven different chances to get picked off on its way there, and it ends with like a three-yard gain. And it's just like – Like that was this, successful? What is – what are we doing here? Like I'd rather see like a very like home run-oriented offense that's all like just verticals and slants in and just like really try to move it fast up the field, but they're not doing that. And, you know, it's just – they try to be so much. They try to be so multiple at Washington that I don't know – I, I don't know if it's if it's ever going to look the right way unless you have the right pieces. And I think that year they had, you know, John Ross going deep. Um, th- that looked right because okay, oh you're in man. All right, I'm just going to let John Ross run past you, and then I'll throw I'll I'll chuck it deep. And the good thing about Browning is he had that really lofty deep throw where he could just okay I'll I'll I can throw it pretty far, yeah, and I'll just put a bunch of air under it because that's the only way I know how to throw. And uh, John Ross, go get it. Um, and they could do that all the time. Um, they haven't had a guy who can beat a defense that way. And if without that, I think the scheme itself, it's just, it's very dinking and dunking and, and just 
trying to execute perfectly to get like a five yard gain. Um, that's uh, anyway. That's what I see when I'm watching it. Just it looks so hard. It yeah. doesn't need to be this hard. It looked easier early on, and then some. For it's like I don't know if they Washington just turtled up. Something happened. It wasn't. Uh, it, it, it didn't look good to me. But well, yo, congrats yeah. to Oregon. That's the the best chance the Pac-12 has at a uh, college football playoff. They got a big showdown in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what goes on with Oregon going forward. Um, all right. So our number four team, David, is Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and they went uh, to Salt Lake City to play in a typhoon against Utah Utes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this one, I mean, you can see both offenses um, affected by it, um, though the 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 way Arizona State was affected was not solely by the typhoon. All right. So Utah won 21-3. Um, and yeah, our number four team scored three points this week, if you want to know the state mm. of the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, so I want to touch on ASU first because I don't – so Jaden Daniels, and you know how in the bag I am. You love Daniels. the Jaden Daniels. I love Jaden Daniels. Uh, four of 18 for 25 yards um, and a pick. I think his second was pick that of the four year. rushes for eighteen yards. No, 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 no. Four completions out of eighteen attempts for twenty-five yards for robust one point four yards per attempt. Um, here's what I will say about his performance: having watched basically every snap of this game, he was definitely rattled by like midway through the second quarter and into the third quarter. Um, to an, to the extent that Jaden Daniels gets rattled. But the reason that was happening is because his offensive line couldn't block anybody. Wow. And I know they only finished, I think Utah finished with three sacks, all by Bradley and I. Yes. Um, but they had him running around for his life on every play, it seemed like. Um, every time they dropped back to pass, it felt like, oh, Jaden Daniels is under pressure. Um, I don't think his offensive staff did him any favors, um, especially early on. They were not moving the pocket anywhere near enough. Um, but his offensive line, I mean, they're starting, I think it was Henderson at left tackle and Donovan West. Um, they both, they both struggled and, uh, that's just, you're going to have that, uh, Cole Cabral, you know, we talked about him last week having a really nice game. Wasn't so great in this one. And so much of that is the Utah defensive line. I thought they played one of the best games I've seen from a defensive line. Um, but Daniels was just under fire constantly. Um, and I didn't think there were enough, you know, quicker developing routes, you know, nothing quickly happening over the middle of the field. It looked like he had to sit back there. And I mean, you could probably count the number of times in those 18 attempts where he had more than three seconds to throw on like one finger. Um, he was, he was under fire and no, he didn't play well. Um, but he was totally under fire the entire game and just tough spot to be in. Uh, his one pick was a hail Mary. So it was right before the half, so you can't take a whole lot from that. Um, no. I thought ASU could have run the ball more. Um, you know, Benjamin had 15 carries for 104 yards. A lot of it was boom or bust. Like, he had, a, uh, I think, three or four explosive ones, and then it was a whole lot of grinding. There was like, yeah, like a lot of zero or negative one or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but he was still really good. Um, and then Utah did everything it needed to do offensively. Tyler Huntley got dinged up twice in this one, like a little bit early. And then he came back in and then a lot of it later. And then Jason Shelley came in. Um, he wasn't his sharpest before he got hurt. Um, but he was, uh, at least kind of executing it pretty well. Zach Moss also took a helmet to a helmet. 
I think in this game. Um, but then he came back in, um, and he was he was he was pretty good. I thought ASU played really well defensively. Um, they held Utah to twenty one points, um, and uh, you know I thought overall they played well enough that if the offense had just been able to. I mean, there was probably no chance they were winning this game with the way Utah's defensive line was playing. Um, but the defense did well enough that on a different day with uh, either a, a slightly worse defense or something, uh, you know, they did their job is yeah. basically what I'm saying. So I, I mean, it was 14 nothing at the half. Utah's up in the pouring rain. And then in the third quarter, like Arizona State kicked a field goal. Huntley throws a pick. And it's like, I think, I mean, there was chances for Arizona State to win this game. Like there, mm-hmm. like you had to do something, but that you know they end up being like third and twelve. I thought they had like fifty thousand third and twelves, uh, but you know Bradley and I get to a sack there. A lot of penalties for Arizona State. You know, three quarters in, it's still fourteen to three, and ASU had had like three completed passes at that point. You know, um, Utah turned the ball over four times, and then Tyler Huntley goes out like. There was opportunities in this one, but you, like offense is not optional. I know there's some really good defenses, but man, you got to be able to do something and figure something out. Like if it's not working for the first quarter or two, as a coaching staff, you have to figure something out. Like, hey, we're going to do this now, whatever it is. I don't know if people are looking at what Cal did last year. And like, hey, we can win games without being good on offense. Like you have to score some points here. And that's what was frustrating is that ASU had chances. Well, and even even towards the end of this game, it was like eight uh, like eight minutes to go in the fourth. They forced the Utah three and out down fourteen three, and then they get the punt and Jack Jones fumbles it on oh, yeah. the uh, on the uh, I think it was the ASU like thirty, and then Zach Moss on the next play just runs it in he for run, a touchdown. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot, but yeah. that's that's such a huge swing because the defense had just gotten your stop, and the thing was Utah's offense at that point with Jason Shelley in there, they were looking really iffy. Um, if ASU had been able to create anything at that point, um, you know, the game changes a little bit, but it's pretty late at that point. And, you know, ASU's offense had been able to do nothing all day, but this defense, I mean, they really did completely their job. Um, just kind of let down by the entire offense. That happens. Yeah, it does. Well, uh, we, we were wrong on this one too. We thought that the Herm would be able to keep it within 14, but you know, the typhoon and uh, not getting any offense whatsoever. Uh, they were not able to. So Utah gets the cover. We get this one uh, wrong. Um, and here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. If ASU doesn't miss the 42-yarder from Zendejas, it's 14-6. to six. Yeah. And then if Jack Jones doesn't fumble that ball, this game probably ends with no more scoring. That would have been 14-6. to six. Yeah. I'm no, just saying. No, I, Herm was this close to being down just by, by one score. Yeah, and I... I feel like if you played this game, you know, 10 more times, I would still pick, you know, pick ASU plus 14, but I don't know. After watching that defensive line versus that offensive line, I don't know if I'd ever pick ASU again. I think ASU, I think the future is probably bright on that offensive line, especially if they can get Zach Robertson back in the future. Um, But they got some issues. All right. And we I was convinced myself that they were done with their issues because they'd moved Cole Cabral to center, but there's still some I mean, they've got some youth, they've got some stuff going on. Yeah. All right. So that was uh four versus two. USC where I talked about number three at Oregon, we already talked about number one. Let's uh take a quick break. We'll come back and preview all the week nine action. Back in a minute. David. Ryan. You ready? 
Oh, I was born ready. So what do we got? We got five games uh, this week. So we have Washington. Five football games. Football this games. This weekend. Yeah. Uh, we got Washington and Oregon State on bides, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, and then, and we have one weekday game this week, and uh, I will actually be there in person. Uh, this is going to be uh, USC Trojans visiting Colorado Buffalo. Beautiful Friday night in Boulder. Yeah. 6 p.m. Can't wait to ES- see Ralphie. It's going to be beautiful. 6 p.m. on ESPN2, USC, traveling to Colorado. USC is favored by 12 and one-half points. Um, Okay, so we've seen Colorado be very bad of late, largely because um, Steven Montez has uh, more or less forgotten how to play quarterback, right? We can all agree on that. Um, I don't think there's much talk of him being pulled. Obviously, that stuff can change, but I don't think there's much talk about it. Um, So I'm counting on him probably starting this game again. Uh, USC has to do the Friday night road game thing in the Pac-12, which was historically has historically not been kind to the road team. Um, But they've looked a lot better of late than Colorado has. Um, They have sort of. I won't say feasted because they really have only played two of the bad teams in the Pac-12 so far, Stanford and Arizona. And by bad, I mean just everybody who's not um, five or higher. Um, So they crushed Stanford and they crushed Arizona. Um, Both of those came at home, but they crushed them. 25-point win over Stanford, 27-point over Arizona. And now that I'm recalibrating the situation, are they just a fine team? Like, is that all USC is? They're a fine team that's going to lose on occasion to a quality opponent, or more often than not to a quality opponent, and then, you know, beat up on the really bad ones. I think that might be the story of of USC. So, all of that being said, I'm going to take USC minus 12 and a half. All right. Um, I still, it's been two in a row uh, that USC has covered, which is crazy, but I'm still going to pick Colorado. If I go with my theory... Ignore last week. So USC's on a two-game losing streak because they didn't beat Arizona. So I don't feel as bad. with And Colorado, yeah, they got beat down by Oregon. But, you know, they they uh, they beat – well, they, they lost a close one to Arizona. Yeah, you know, like – so Colorado, they're still a little feisty. So I'm going to go with the, with the bus. Plus, I'm going to be there. I want to see Ralphie. It's going to be cold as shit. It's going to be like 39 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wait, is it? It's that's the that's the forecast. It's gonna like low like low forties, high thirties later. I think. Oh man, uh, that soft LA boy is going to Colorado to play in the cold. Yeah. So All right, I'm see. still gonna take I'm I'm gonna take USC, but I'm not feeling as good about it. Okay. Cool. All right, we'll see what happens there. Uh, then moving on to Saturday, uh, we have Arizona Wildcats <laughs> taking on Stanford Cardinal. All right, so this one's on at 12.30 on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, Arizona traveling to Stanford. The line is not listed on here. Um, Arizona is favored by one point. Um, So a one-point road favorite over Stanford. This opened um, Arizona minus three. I don't think we have any information yet on who's going to be starting for Stanford, or I I know uh, Kevin Sumlin's saying there's no quarterback controversy, but 
really who who's going to start for Arizona because he would say that anyway in the week leading up to the game. Um, so this is one where I just have no damn idea, none whatsoever. Um, I think Stanford's really bad, as I've been talking about all year. Um, they've got that one blip against Washington where things were starting to look right, but then their quarterback immediately got hurt. Um, their offensive line is in really desperate straits. Um, but Arizona looked really bad against USC. Um, and Khalil Tate looks like he's, you know, struggling to play the position. Um, the best unit in this game is Arizona's defense. So I will take Arizona minus the one uh, on the road at Stanford. Wow. Um, so Arizona favored on the road. It was, was it, it was Arizona by three? Arizona was by three and now it's by one. All right. Um, so I want to go opposite you. I'm going to take Stanford. No, hold on. Let me use the theory. Let's use the theory. Okay. So let's assume, so Stanford, uh, so Arizona got uh, crushed by Washington, but they, they beat Colorado. So they were like, you know, they were, yeah, it was all right. Stanford, two game winning streak. Yeah. I'm taking Stanford, Stanford, all the way. <laughs> two game winning streak. So uh, I'll go with Stanford. You take Arizona. We'll go opposite that. That's, um, I don't know, man. This is like, both teams look so terrible. Like, I don't, I don't want to pick either one of them. Like, I, I, I didn't even know what the line was going to be. Like, what were you going to say of what should the line be in this one? Like, uh, that nobody wins and it's going to be awful. Yeah. It might be a terrible football game. Um, especially if, if Jack West has to play again. Um, and that's really what I'm counting on is if West is out there having to play, then uh, no line is big enough for me. So we, yeah, we saw both of these teams closely and the, Neither of them looked good. Um, so I here's the thing, though: if it's West out there, like Arizona's going to win this going away. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oof. Um, all right, we'll see what happens uh, there. We got a four and three team and a three and four team uh, on the Pac-12 network. It's must watch. So you got to check that one out. All right. Uh, next up, we have Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> They're going to be in the Rose Bowl taking on UCLA Bruins. So this is a 4.30 game also on the Pac-12 network. So you're going to have to wait until 7 p.m. to watch a game that's not on the Pac-12 network. Uh, ASU traveling to the Rose Bowl to take on UCLA. ASU is 24th, ranked 24th. Uh, this one opened at ASU minus 2.5, but it has moved to ASU minus 4. So the early money is moving the line um, away from UCLA. Um, I am thinking that UCLA's uh, defensive performance against Stanford was largely a mirage, um, that it was a product of everything weird and bad going on for Stanford defensively. Um, and conversely, I think ASU's offensive performance against Utah was misleading um, because Utah is good defensively in the right way to take advantage of everything that ASU is bad at offensively, which is mainly protecting the quarterback. Um, I don't think UCLA is good in the same way um, as Utah up front. And I don't think um, ASU has the same sort of freshman playing quarterback as Stanford. Um, I think Jaden Daniels is going to be able to execute a quarterback the same way uh, most quarterbacks have executed against UCLA this year, which is to say, at a near perfect level. Um, so 
I'll take ASU minus the four. I think they cover this. Um, I will start singing a different t- tune about UCLA if they are able to play really well defensively in this one. Um, but I'll need to see it against a non-crippled offense to pick them uh, in a real game. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take Arizona State in this one too. Obviously, since the Stanford game didn't happen, UCLA is on a two-game losing streak. <laughs> and to be fair, like they should have lost all of their games. So, um, yeah, they you know they lost all those games by week. Now you got to play. ASU and ASU coincidentally, I don't know if you know this Dave, but they've, they've won their last two games in a row. They beat Cal, they beat Arizona state. I mean, they beat, uh, uh, I'm sorry. They beat Washington state. So I didn't see anything about Utah. So Arizona state, I'll take them too. just ignore yep. what happened last week. Exactly. I liked it. I, I like this. Right. I like the strategy. We'll see if it works. That's great. Um, all right. Next up. Ooh, this is a rough one. California golden bears. <laughs> And uh, they're going to go on the road to take on Utah Utes. 7 p.m., Fox Sports 1, Cal traveling onto the road to number 12, Utah. Utah is favored by 19 points. Ooh. 19 points. Tell me, uh, Ryan, is Chase Garbers back this week? I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming no. He's not back. Uh, give me the Utes. Minus 19. Yeah. Uh, I... I can't in good like I don't even need to look at the what they've done. Um, we know what Utah's done. You could ignore that, but Cal, yeah, they they are not good. So I think Utah can probably name the score in this one. I know Cal's defense is is good and stuff, but now we now Huntley might not be in right, so we don't know about Huntley's status. Yeah, I don't think we've gotten an update on that because we're recording on Monday. Um, it would have just come out if there's anything new, and I don't think there is. Um, yeah, he didn't. Prov- uh, uh, Whittingham did not provide an update today, so so he might be out. Um, and if he is, you know, Shelley was good last year um, when he had to come in. So, I mean, Cal's defense is still good, um, but Oregon State was able to score 21. I think Utah will be able to score at least 21, and I just don't know what Cal's going to do. Offensively like yeah, that's the thing. Like Cal scored points against Oregon State. Like they are not going to score points <laughs> against Utah. Yeah, I, I I really don't see it unless they do some really weird and wild stuff. So nineteen points is a lot, but yeah, hard hard one. And I think Cal, like especially if they're starting a true freshman in this game, we'll see what Devon Monster is looking like. But if they're starting a frosh in this one Oof. against this defense, yeah. I mean, you might be looking at a Jack West situation. Yeah, nighty night. So, uh, yeah, I'll take Utah as well. Okay, let's uh, last one. The nightcap we have Washington State Cougars taking on and on the road at Oregon Ducks. So this is seven thirty on ESPN. Washington State traveling to number eleven, Oregon. Oregon is favored by fourteen points. Hmm. All right, so I'm I'm conflicted about this one. I think Oregon's really good. I think they're going to be able to move the ball against Washington State's defense. However, uh, that Washington State offense could give them some trouble, especially a week after playing like a very different kind of look from Washington. Um, having to go against this pass-happy scheme, really good quarterback who's going to execute it well. Um, 14 points feels like too many to me. Um, I think Oregon's going to win, but I see it more as like a 10-point game. Um, Two-touchdown win. Yeah, I think I think Washington State's going to be able to keep pace a little bit better than that. So, And, you know, there's always that that soft crap, the you know, the let-down spot or whatever, which I don't really buy into. But 
you know, play that in there too. Give me Washington State. Uh, I got to take Oregon because Washington State's lost their last three games. You know, they haven't won in right. the Pac-12 yet. So exactly. I, I don't see them. I don't see them. <laughs> so my gut would tell me to take Washington State in the 14 points because I think they've played better. Um, Oregon's defense is great. They, you know, hadn't give up like really any points in five games. They give up 31 to Washington on the road. Um, I, I, I actually can't talk about that because that didn't happen. But uh, <laughs> but my gut would say take Washington State here. But I will ignore Washington State's uh, you know win over Colorado, and I'm just going to say you know what Oregon is on a, on a roll. Um, yeah, I'll take the Ducks and uh, see if they can cover the 14. Don't feel super confident about it at all. Yep. Yep. But uh, yep. all right, so we're picking differently on how many games this week? I One. think. Two, think three of them. Three different games. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah, we can't finish with the same record then. No. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, because it's five. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Uh, should we jump into questions? Let's do it. I got uh, Drew pulled up. I think this is the first one. It's uh Wazoo slash UW, looking at recruiting from the last several years, I've noticed a trend, both Washington and Washington State struggle in a big way to keep the best players in state at home, despite being two of the best of Pac-12's best programs the last few seasons. Washington, I think he needs tied to... Second. Oh, sorry. Oh, second. uh, Second to California on the West Coast in terms of high school talent. And both uh, Power Five programs are strongly are strong currently. So why do so many five star, four star, and three star from Washington choose to play elsewhere? Um, that's I, a great question. I pulled it up. So this year, so back in 2019, like the top two players uh, went to Washington. Uh, Nebraska, you've got Nebraska, Oregon, Cal. There's a Portland State in there, Washington State, Washington. I mean, Trey Davis went to SC, but then he transferred. Uh, there's a Hawaii in there. I don't know. I mean, it's it's not like it, there's not like super high ranked players after the first like top, like the top ten in st- in the state of uh, Washington. But right now in 2020, if you look at Washington, I mean, there's a it's you know it's well represented. Uh, you know, Washington has three of the top four. Uh, G. Scott's going to Ohio State. Uh, Aiden Hector's going to Stanford. Uh, but, you know, three of the top four, that's pretty good for Washington. You don't see a lot of Washington State represented there, and I'm not sure exactly why, but, you know, Washington State's typically not recruiting the same guys that Washington, Ohio State, USC, whatever, they would be recruiting. Yeah, that seems right. And getting Savelle Smalls this year, I mean, that's great. That's a big one, yeah. He's the, I mean, he was number yeah. one, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean they got three of the top four this year. Um, I mean, whatever. I think they're doing pretty well. Yeah, on in-state. I don't know. That's not something I've really heard the lot that they just get murdered there. But I know getting Savelle Smalls was huge for Washington fans. Yeah, it was a big deal. So. And you're seeing a lot of players come out of Arizona now. I mean, maybe Arizona. Arizona schools might do a worse job of keeping the talent in home. They definitely do. Yeah. But there's definitely more schools do. coming in. Like the Big Twelve are poaching a lot of those schools sometimes, and. Um, yeah, eh, see where it goes. All right, cool. All right. Then we've got, let's see. I've got JPN, um, from Shoreline, Washington. Uh, what's with the meow? 
Hi, guys. Your discussions add a lot to my enjoyment of watching Pac-12 football. I've told a number of my Cougar friends about it, which brings me to a question. Why do the Cougs warrant a meow soundtrack? Washington State Cougars. There you go. At first, I thought, well, that figures. That's the kind of offhand put-down one expects from an L.A.-centric viewpoint or from Seattle. But I've decided that I like the spunky meow. It's a good fit for a team that consistently plays way above its weight. After all, Washington State has had the third most wins in the Pac-12 over the last four years, 24 wins, right, not including this year, where I believe the term is reloading. Our success is pretty amazing since the number of four- and five-star recruits Washington State has landed in the last six years is five total. All five are four-star recruits. Compare that to USC with 67 four-star and 18 five-star recruits, UCLA with 67, Stanford with 49, Oregon with 45, and UW with 42, numbers from the 24-7 sports composite. In any case, thanks for the enjoyable discussions. Please please keep the meow with attitude. And if you want to make a Cougar's Day, play a pack of whining dogs for the Huskies soundtrack. <laughs> it would make a great fit. Uh, quiz, which Pac-12 coach does the most with the least? Hint, he's a political Neanderthal with an obsession about political correctness. JPN in Shoreline, Washington. You're right. Leach definitely does the most with the least. Um, I don't even know who's a close second. Yeah, uh, he's doing yeah. it. Yeah, great job there. And and we've said this before, um, JPN. We didn't create all those. That was one of our listeners, and uh, it was awesome that they created this for us. We We cut it up. Put it in the soundboard. We haven't touched it since. We would change it if we had, you know, the desire, or if our or the guy did it for us again, or whatever sent them in. But that's more just like that was kind of created for us. I, I like it, but you know, I hopefully Washington State fans don't take offense. But it wasn't anything. Uh, it wasn't some kind of slight because we're from L.A. We didn't create any of them. Yeah, no, it had nothing to do with that. But it, I, I think we did eventually find out that our guy who did it was a Washington person. Was it? So. Oh, was that the thing? Okay. I think so. Maybe yeah, that yeah. was it. Um, yeah. We, you know, we're kind of on a, uh, a little bit of a timeline today. We both, Dave and I both are, you know, you might not think, but we kind of have busy lives. Uh, stuff. It's going true. On. Um, so there's, there's, I've got to wash my beard. I, I've got to like wash and condition this thing. That's yeah. Tonight. We got like a rusty fence email and it's like going back to the, the fiefdoms and stuff. I think we're just going to skip it over. Cause it's just, it's, it's really just kind of talking about himself. Um, we love you, Rusty though. Yeah. Thanks for sending that in. But you know, plus you already got a Hitler day question. in, so it's the same person. So we don't, you know, yeah, it's the same exact guy. Um, so you guys should leave a voicemail as different people. Just, you know, and yeah yeah do that actually why don't we just yeah we'll give everyone each other's phone numbers and then they can just talk to each other that's but they can call and leave a voicemail so this is rusty Fence. that's great this we love voicemails Day. yeah we, uh we this, love them. so we'll go to larry in santa barbara sucky tv broadcast teams hi ryan and dave really enjoy the podcast cal fan here you can just call me number seven um cal is no cal uh, oh, the number seventh fan, the seventh the, fan, the, the seventh fan, because right. I, I think I said there were six of them last week. Yeah, because there was definitely more than the Stanford fans. Yeah, there's two times as much. Yeah, so, so there are three and a half Stanford fans. I think we've now can effectively say that. Yeah. So, so he's saying, Larry's saying, we are the Wiley Coyote of the Pac-12. Started out four and zero, and know with certainty the Anvil is in free fall. <laughs> sure enough. Could you guys start a bit each week with the top three dumbest things a TV broadcast team says or production team does during a Pac-12 game broadcast? Uh, where do they get these guys? Here are some of the generic examples. Which one is your favorite? Uh, the Fighting Bruins are down 21-0 to start the second quarter and have not made a single first down. The TV analyst says, 
The Bruins better start making first downs to have any chance. You think? Yeah. yeah. Smart. Play-by-play color guys uh, that do not even watch the game. The camera shows a clear face mask, and the broadcast team has no idea why the penalty was called until the ref calls it out. Seen that. It happens. TV production teams that are hell-bent on showing shots of the college crowds rather than the replays of important plays. Yep. Oh, that could be bad, too. And then play-by-play analysts that never question terrible ref calls or ferociously bad uh, play calling. Yeah. Nice. Uh, half the time is is so bad. I literally have to watch on mute. Is our civilization doomed? Keep up the sterling work, Larry in Santa Barbara. To your last question, yes, but not for this. Um, but so maybe people send them in, like the bad ones. Like, oh my god, I can't believe this was said. Like, tweet us or send it in. That'd be good. So I was watching the UCLA game on Thursday night, and I tweeted about it afterwards because it was. I don't usually care about that stuff because if I just if I don't like it, I'll just put it on mute. But for UCLA, I want to hear because sometimes they'll have an update that you know how sometimes the coaches will talk to the TV broadcast crew, but they won't update anyone else. So you got to listen to just see if you know anything weird happens. Um, and I was listening to those guys, um, and it was the Thursday night ESPN crew. Um, that was nails on chalkboard for me. Um, they were so bad and so into their own shtick that it was like, I, and their shtick wasn't like, I'm a, I'm fine with shtick. Like Bill Walton, I'll listen to Bill Walton call any game. You want to give me a game of cricket that he's calling? Fine. That's fine. <laughs> and he'll tell stories and not pay attention to the game, but it's so involved and like so clear that he's like a maestro just like, He's playing everybody, and he's doing this on purpose, and it's great. These guys just sounded like they were so far up their own butts in this game, and like also doing the stuff that uh, that our man Larry's talking about, where not knowing what's going on on the field, like repeatedly saying, "Oh, he he got stopped for no gain when the guy got three or four yards very clearly," um, and just doing stuff like that throughout the game, um, while also just, I mean, the one guy McAfee just full on just being a complete doofus the entire time. And they all had like kind of grating voices. Um, anyway, that was really bad. The thing with the never questioning terrible ref calls is um, the Pac-12 network almost never does it ever. Yeah. Um, most other broadcast teams will do it. But when you're watching a Pac-12 game broadcast on the network, they will almost never. The most they'll say is, oh, wow. Yeah, that's a tough call. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but most broadcast teams, I think, are getting better about you know, hitting those things harder. And the one thing I will say is um, the non-Pac-12 ones, they'll criticize guys on the field a little bit more. The Pac-12 is just kind of the real real state television thing going on there. There was a – did you see this, that the Pac-12 refs got dunked on? Um, by um, – uh, yeah, by Dana Holgerson. Yeah, it was uh, – let me find the tweet. for Frick, I can't find it. Um yeah, so he basically It was something like if you take away if you take away the Pac-12 refs from us, then yeah, our penalties per game is really good or it, something Yeah, like they they do really well. Um it's like four, so Houston's like 4.9 penalties per game or something, but they said, yeah, if you take out the Pac-12 refs, we'd be good. He's like, "Could I get fined for that?" Um oh yeah, so he said uh, he was asked about the low pe- penalty average 4.9 per game. He said, "Good other than the Pac-12 refs." He looked uh, to the back of the room where his AD was and said, "They can't find me, right?" And the AD said, I don't think so. So um, so they had eight penalties against Wazoo in that game. So that was their their season high. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool there. All right. Uh, let's see. Is it me? No, you're, you're up next. Right? Oh, yeah, I am. I guess I am. Um, this is from my man, Thomas. 
Defense wins championships. Uh, hi, Ryan and Dave. I've been off work this week, and I realized I hadn't sent you an email in a while, and you probably missed me. But no, seriously. I noticed, so. rec- <laughs> I noticed recently that there's a, at least a faint correlation between order of finish in the Pac-12 and total defensive point allowed in conference games, at least over the past few years, that is. I know this sounds like a bold argument, right? But keep in mind, this seems to be a better predictor than even total points scored. My guess is that the correlation is a byproduct of the Pac-12 home field advantage, potentially being stronger uh, compared to other conferences. And thus, a stout defense can make the difference as far as being able to win on the road more than a potent offense. To test this hypothesis, I listed the Pac-12 standings as of October 15th below in the order of points allowed. I did this because we are about a third of the way through league play. Thus, uh, That way, at the end of the season, I can email you back and tell you how close these predictions came. Your humble servant, Thomas. So in the north, he's got Oregon, then Cal, then Washington, then Stanford, then Oregon State, then Washington State. So not very accurate. No. Um, and then in the South, Utah, USC, ASU, Arizona, Colorado, and UCLA. More accurate. So again, nailed the first one on each, but gets a little wishy-washy after two. Uh, would you not? So in the South, are you good with Utah, USC, Arizona State? Yeah, that's fine. But then the, the Arizona, Colorado, UCLA order, and the difference between like Colorado and UCLA and yeah. Arizona, it's just that's a little extreme. Yeah. Um, and then in the north, obviously Oregon State at number five. Come on, man. Yeah, you can't. They're they're sole place of, it's sole uh, possession of second place. So I know. Come on. Uh, all right. Well, cool. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Thomas. Great stuff. Uh, we did miss you, Mike, uh, Mike in Oakland. You're welcome. Pack twelve. Hey, Ryan and Dave. I have an idea to propose. The Mighty Cougars of Washington State have an excellent offense, but their defense has had trouble of late. It's to the point uh, where we make athletes on the other teams look very good. Consider Pac-12 Offensive Players of the Week the last few weeks. Uh, 9.23, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. 9.30, Tyler Huntley. Uh, 10.14, Brandon Ayuk. Uh, so, And Jaden Daniels was a freshman player of the week for 10.14, the opponent for all those players was Wazoo. Now I'm sure uh, there are some very fine athletes, but it seems like the Cougars have helped elevate these players' games uh, to uh, POW. What, oh, Players of the Week, sorry. Play, player of the I, Week. I was like, what, what is that? I'm like, Army stuff? Prisoners of War? I was like, holy cow, this, is good. this got wow. dark. Yeah. Uh, okay, so it helped them elevate to be Players of the Week. So his proposal is that the Player of the Week team should make a contribution to the opposing team as a tribute or duty owed for helping to elevate their game. This idea would help support Champagne Larry's goal for parity. What are your thoughts? I am hoping Steven Montez and LaVisca Chanel are not players of the week this week. Go Cougs, Mike and Oakley. Wow, that was, so this was sent before the games. You have nothing to worry about, Mike. Yeah, that did not happen. <laughs> yeah, um, you found the cure for your defense. Um, it was playing Steven Montez. Right. I didn't even realize that was sent before the games. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty great. I like the idea. I like the idea of paying a duty. Um, but, you know, it's tough then. Um, you know, I, I, but I, I like it. I like it. It's really good. All right. Who we got next? You ready? Yeah, Frank, I think. This is Frank. Worst and, progr- worst and prognostications. Okay. Hey, Dave, here's a philosophical question for you. If the worst team in the league wins, is it still the worst team in the league? Also, I hear you mention Ken. Okay, so let's start with that. Um, It depends. But in a vacuum, yes, that can still be the case. Mm -hmm. Um, UCLA might still very well be the worst team in the league. um, Because we saw Stanford with Jack West 
we didn't see Stanford with Davis Mills against this defense. Um, if it had been Davis Mills, it would have been an entirely different game. So it's, are they the worst team on that given day against that given opponent? No, UCLA was not. But could they still be, in macro sense, the worst team in the league despite having won, you know, two conference games? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yes. And then also, I hear you mention Ken Palm and advanced stats quite often, so I'm wondering what you think is missing. You've said something to the effect of, if you look at the advanced stats, Team X outplayed them, Team Y, but Team Y won. How much more do you think the advanced stats can advance? Keep up the good work. Um, I'm sure there's some more depth that can be added to anything. Um, but when So the thing is, um, to get the effective sample size you would need to have stats more or less play out the right way all the time, it would need to be baseball plus some. Like it would need to be like 162 games plus even yeah. more. Um, because you need X number of snaps to actually make it a statistically significant sample um, so that you can actually look at it. And so a lot of advanced stats work, like Bill Connolly, the guy who does the S&P Plus, will tell you this. He has to build in stuff from the past because there's simply not enough data within a single season. You're always dealing with a sample size issue. Um, which is why it's amazing that a system like his or a lot of these systems are able to beat the spread so often um, that there is predictive value to what they're doing. What I like about advanced stats is there's slightly more predictive value than just throwing darts at a board, and it helps to explain things about the game that you wouldn't otherwise notice from just counting wins and losses. Um, the fact that they're more or less able to predict the spread at a pretty decent rate is good, um, and I think that's... I don't see it getting a whole lot better than that um, simply because the sample size is too small. Um, it's just, it's too hard to, you'd, you'd have to play so many games. You'd have to have so many snaps to make it worthwhile, or you'd have to see the same guys play for like five seasons all collectively to actually have a good idea of what they're going to look like. Um, so I don't know how much further it can go. It's still way better than like analyzing the AP rankings or whatever to determine who's a better team. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, let's see. I guess we got, oh, this one's a forward question from Jake. Uh, he says, Hey Ryan and Bruin, who I can actually tolerate. Hey, nice. Opa. That must be you, Dave. I was curious. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I was curious how many times the other PAC 12 programs have suspended players for the year for off field issues, not counting academic disqualifications. USC seems to be doing it a lot. Isn't there some other punishment for the whole team that can be used instead? Uh, this puts great strain on the rest of the team. At best, it's uh, far more reps for other players, potentially risking injury. You also may blow a close game, significantly affecting the whole season. Fight on, Boo Bruins from Jake. So my um, personal, having covered UCLA for a long time, most of the time when it's suspended um, and not for academics, at least in my history, it's weed. Um Kids, I know at UCLA, I don't know if it's an NCAA or a Pac-12 or just the UCLA thing, but if they if they get caught on a drug test the third time, I think they have to be suspended for a game. Um, or maybe it's the second time, I can't remember. Um, so I know that is often the reason for suspensions, and I don't think there's any disputing that, at least at UCLA. Um, and then sometimes it'll be like PEDs or something, but those will often be dictated by like NCAA or something. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on that? No, and I, I'm trying to think of who the last, like, I I don't know. It hasn't happened a ton. I, you don't hear it a ton, like, just full-on suspensions and stuff. Um, unless it's something big you're in the news for, you know? 
Um, I think Jack Jones was, re- you know, a couple years back, and he's now at Arizona State uh, for USC, the former five-star quarterback. Um, I don't think there was anybody this year, but I don't remember. I don't remember what I had for breakfast, but I don't like no, no one that I can think of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that seems right. All right. Uh, all right. This is um, this is from Hugh Janus and Eaton Beaver. Oh, okay. Bruins suck a bit less this week. All right. Hey, Ryan and Dave, it's your good pal Hugh Janus back for more. First, I'd like to clarify that I am not Hifliday. Dave made some comments last week implying that Hifliday or Rusty Friends or whoever and, whomever and I were the same person. I can't even spell Hifliday. I am the one, the only, the original Hugh Janus. More importantly, my good buddy Eaton Beaver, Eaton Beaver, and I were recently talking about college football, and we have a few random questions this week. Uh, one, if and when the Pac-12 expands, which schools would be among the top candidates to add to the conference? Uh, I don't and, think there's really any right now. I, I don't no. think that's even I mean, on the, the ideal radar. ones. The ideal ones are the same ones they were trying to get when they hit the Super Conference last time. Yeah. Texas's, Oklahoma's, that sort of deal. Two, do you see a day when there are four 16-team Super Conferences in football? Yes. Um, yes, uh, but it's a long way off. Uh, three, was UCLA's win over Stanford a bit of a mirage or a turning point for UCLA season? Mirage. Yeah. Yeah. Four, do you feel as I do that UCLA's lack of an on-campus stadium is a major detriment to the football program? Nah. Uh, no, I don't. I, I think it's something that you can point to when everything else is going wrong, but the reason they're having struggles right now is because they've got a coaching situation that's not great. Okay. That's it. Uh, five, will Dave keep his beard once it starts to turn mostly white? Buddy, I am already getting there, um, and I actually think it looks great. I would, I'm fine with a white beard. That's great. Yeah, you could go Santa Claus yeah. on us. That'd be perfect. That'd be great. Uh, six. Wow, Oregon State wins again, and a couple of their losses were very close. Are they actually a good team? That's what I'm saying, man. I don't know about a good team, but they're you know they they got they're some. They're a little feisty. Yeah. Yeah, they're fine. Uh, seven. Which team in the Pac-12 would you call the best coached, and which is the worst coached? Mm. USC is the worst coached. Uh, yes. I mean, you could. Utah? We, Utah might be the best. Uh, you could argue Washington State. You could have argued Washington before, but you can't now for whatever reason. Um, Utah or Washington State, and maybe, meh, yeah, Utah or Washington State. Probably. I, I think that's who I'd go with. Uh, eight on a scale of one to ten, how badly has it hurt the conference not to be on Direct TV? Like eight and a half. Eight? Yeah, yeah. Uh, nine. More of a Dave question here. You've mentioned on the broadcast that Morris seemed to lose some desire or ran into problems with the program in about his third season. Can you elaborate? Sure. Um, really briefly, I think um, he. Str- I, I think he's a guy like uh, this. Gets into psychoanalysis because so much of everything that happens with UCLA's coaching is like. It's really out of a Greek tragedy. Mora was very much like fueled by, I think, anger, being pissed off about everything. And like early on, it was like really fuel, it fueled him in a good way. Um, and he was like, you know, I'm pissed off that we're, you know, thought of so poorly. I'm pissed off that the, this team isn't tough. I'm going to make them tough. And I'm pissed off that we're losing games to these guys. So I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to coach them up and, and do better and the whole thing. And I'm going to recruit my ass off and all that stuff. And then, like towards the end of his second season into his third season, he started being pissed off at UCLA. Um, and I think he's a lot of his anger started getting directed at the wrong things. 
Um, and I think he just kind of lo- lost the thread a little bit. Um, and there was just some other stuff. I mean, I think they had some real issues with recruiting the 2014 cycle that I think cheesed him off about recruiting in general. And I don't think he ever recruited it the same way he was recruiting for 2013 and 2014. Um, but a lot of it, I think, was just kind of being, um, you know, he, he ran into some real issues where he started to really resent UCLA. Um, and I think that played a major role in his downfall, actually. Um, mm. And also, there was some discipline stuff. Once he got his own guys into the program, um, he started to play more favorites. Um, he didn't hire a single good coach, really, until the very end after his um, initial staff. Um, it was a lot of bad hires. So there was a lot of different things, but... Um, that would be that would be a couple of major ones. So Jim Morris kind of like the uh, Claudius and Macbeth or something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> real and but like the thing is like you can go through a lot of them. Like Ben Halland was also like just pure Greek tragedy. Okay. Like man completely undone by his his failure at the pinnacle to win it all and so he completely changes himself and his entire like recruiting strategy and his entire game strategy like everything changed because he couldn't win in a final four for the third time. Oh. It's crazy. Um, 10, more of a Ryan question here. As an outsider looking in, Steve Sarkeesian seems like a good guy except for the drinking, and Lane Kiffin seemed like an arrogant dick. Is that accurate? Um, I mean, Lane was, I think he's a little more misunderstood, but they both had a level of arrogance there. L- Lane, though, I mean, I don't know. Do you, like, he got fined five grand for, like, tweeting out something about the officials. I I don't know. Do you find that to be like an arrogant dick or I just, and he's got like a, a weird personality. He's kind of quirky. I would say more than anything. Yeah. He's just a weirdo. Yeah. I think he's more weirdo actually. I mean, they're both arrogant, but more of a weirdo. than. Yeah. Anything. I wouldn't like, I don't think he's like a complete dick, but he's yeah. And then he says, as always, your insights are much appreciated. Keep up the good work. Your pals, Hugh Janus and Eaton Beaver. P.S. Thanks, Ryan, so much for the all the obvious hard work you put into the show. <laughs> dot, 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 dot. And I guess thanks to Dave, too, for whatever it is you contribute. Nice. Thank you, Hugh Janus. So he might not be Hitler Day because he does. If he listens to the broadcast, do you think Hitler Day listens to the broadcast? No, Hitler Day is not listening to the broadcast. Okay. So he's definitely not. Okay, so we'll give him that. But you, but you're still the Rusty Fence is not on the fence. He's he's Rusty like, Fence is very obviously Hitler. Okay, let's go to Joshua. Uh, coaching hires. Hey Ryan and Dave, this is your loyal listener in Arkansas, Joshua. So I've been thinking about this way more than I should, which means I'm a college football junkie. But whatever, every man needs advice. Dave has said numerous times that at the time of the hire, Chip Kelly was a home run. I agree with two caveats. Uh, With Kelly's recent uh, failings in the NFL, UCLA's athletic director should have asked two questions. So the first one is, are you going to run the same offense you did at Oregon? And uh, are you going to step it up in recruiting? Thinking about that made me wonder, at bigger schools, is there even an interview? Or do boosters come to the AD with a check in hand and say, you can have this if you hire this guy? Because with USC, the momentum for Urban Meyer is really strong and the leadership may have no choice to at least publicly offer him the job. Like with Kelly, if UCLA's AD interviews him and doesn't have a good feeling about it, can he really move on to another candidate? Or does he have to hope for the best and offer him a contract? He can't publicly say Kelly isn't the coach he used to be because apparently nobody can ever say a bad word about a football coach, even if they kill someone like Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Whoa. <laughs> it's so true. Guess, it's so true. I guess my question is, is the entire system uh, royally screwed up? Can a big school take a chance on an unknown coach they feel is amazing? Or do they just have to hold their noses and hire coaches, fans, boosters, and the media want, regardless of any moral, ethical, or coaching flaws they may have? Thanks, Joshua. 
really great question, Joshua. Um, I do think there was an element of the politics of it here, which is, look, you can't not hire Chip Kelly if he's available. It would have been pilloried. Like, there's no way they could have not made that hire. So put that aside. Um, a lot of times with the bigger name guys, they're interviewing the schools. Like, that's really what's going on with these major courtships. And if UCLA was in a different brand position, like, compare, if they were, like, in a Ohio State position or Alabama position or whatever, and they were doing a coaching hire, maybe they could actually say, okay, Chip Kelly, tell us, tell us your pitch. But come on, that's not what's going on with a guy like Chip Kelly. He's interviewing Florida. He's interviewing UCLA. He's interviewing all of these schools to see which one he thinks is the best one. And then he picks the job. Um, now, in an ideal world, that's not the way you would ever hire anybody. But there's a lot there, there's just a lot going on here, and UCLA couldn't sit there and, and you know have it leak out that they're going after Chip Kelly and then not land Chip Kelly and have it be because they passed. Um, that would be a disaster, yeah. especially because I don't know what Plan B was. Um, so, and so back to your questions um, specifically for Chip Kelly. I get the first question, are you going to run the same offense you did at Oregon? But what if he says, no, I'm going to run something better. I'm going to run this thing. It's going to be super multiple. I learned a ton in the NFL. Um, I'm going to apply it to what I was doing at Oregon, and it's going to be really great. And it's going to be the next evolution in everything. Because I guarantee you that's more or less what he said. Yeah. Uh, maybe not in so many words, but okay. I, if you're an AD or whatever, I mean – you're sitting there and saying, okay, well, it's Chip Kelly. He's already done this once. He's coming back to college. I buy it. And then are you going to step it up in recruiting? I mean, here's the thing. Chip Kelly had a rep as not a great recruiter. Oregon, during his time there, was recruiting at like a top 20 level. So even if you – like that wouldn't even be a question that would come up because it's not as if Oregon wasn't recruiting well during that period. I know Chip Kelly had a rep as not a great recruiter, but – you look at the apparatus and you look at what they've produced in terms of recruiting classes. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, that's not even a question we need to worry about. He knows what's up. He knows what he needs to do. Um, if anything, it was, Hey, are you going to, you know, not cheat in recruiting this time around? Um, because last time you got to show cause for it. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any way that interview process could have played out where they would have been like, Oh no, we really do have to pass on this guy. Yeah. You know, I just don't, I don't think it's there. And the thing is, He's not as weird um, in situations where he doesn't want to be as weird as he is in the media scrums. Um, he probably is a really engaging and, and interesting interview. Um, he was really engaging and interesting in his opening press conference. He chooses to be an interpersonal kind of weirdo in the scrums or kind of a jerk um, because that's what he wants to do. But um, he doesn't. he's not like that all the time. So there's also no interpersonal reason why they would have said, no, we're passing. Yeah. So – yeah, and no, it's a tough spot, but that's just kind of the reality of it. And I think that happens in life. Like if you run a law firm or you're a hiring manager at some law firm and you got like this Harvard guy with a 4.0 that was all these great, you know, this amazing resume and there's other people that are more like risky, like you hire that guy, they're not going to fire you. Like why the hell did you hire the Harvard guy? Like you that's the one everyone wanted. He was the one that was going to be or he or she was going to be the person that all the other law firms wanted. If he sucks or he she sucks, you don't get fired for hiring that person because on paper, it's the right hire. And so Dan Guerrero or, you know, the boosters, whatever, they're not going to get in trouble for, you know, it was a home run hire. It's the one everybody wanted. If it doesn't work out, it's still, you, you can't look back and go, oh, you shouldn't have hired. I'm like, no, that, that was the right thing to do. Um, it would have been really tough, like Dave said, to do that. And 
I think there's per- places too. Like I've seen this at USC where if they go out and force, you know, try to get Urban Meyer, um, that's different than what USC's done, the boosters and things in the past. They've kind of wanted their own agendas. It's not necessarily get the best candidate. Like it's not the Chip Kelly out there, which is that what that's what Urban Meyer is. He's the one, you know, can't miss guy. They Like bringing in like a Lynn Swan to be the athletic director. That's more of a, hey, he's a guy that I was friends with and he's a legend. And I know he's never done the job before, but I want I really want him to be the athletic director. Like to me, that's worse where you're, you're forcing somebody in. It's not like, Hey, Alabama's got a great athletic director. I'm going to pay a bunch of money. I want you to hire him. At least you're trying, you're forcing them to hire a good athletic director or a good coach. When you're forcing them to hire somebody that you just is a friend of yours, that to me is worse. And that's what I've seen USC do more than, than the, the, the former. All right. If that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Oh, totally. All right. This is our man Hithla day. You ready? Yeah, Rusty. Let's go. <laughs> King O Fraud, which I just looked up, is a Pete and Pete reference. That's a deep cut from our man Hithla day. Oh. Pete and Pete was after your time, wasn't it? I don't know what Pete and Pete is. Pete and Pete was a Nickelodeon show from, I think, the early 90s, mid 90s. Oh, okay. That wasn't the one. I remember the one that dumped slime on you. No, no, this was uh, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, which was, I believe, two brothers named Pete, both named Pete, <laughs> both redheads. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Big Pete and Little Pete. All right. Anyway, um, this is from Hitler Day. A year ago on the October 8th podcast, I asked if the evidence indicated that Chris Peterson is an elite coach or not. David gave a long and thoughtful answer, using it to ruminate on what kind of talent you need to run a pro-style multi-look offense, impressionally compared it to UCLA's struggles trying to do a little bit of everything without elite players. He demurred in answering about Peterson until after Jake Browning's reign was over, reasoning that it's unfair to judge a coach on a noodle-armed quarterback he recruited, developed, and started for four years. Ryan, with his typical reflection and subtlety, said, he's an elite coach, he's an elite coach, I 100% believe he is. At the time of that email, the only Power 5 schools Peterson had beaten out of conference were Illinois and Rutgers, and that remains true as they lost to Ohio State and played no others this year. I also noted at the time he was 2-2 and against Oregon and 1-3 and against Stanford. He's now 2-4 and against both and 1-2 and against Cal under Justin Wilcox. So that's 5-10 and against those Pac-12 teams, 0-6 and in serious non-con games, and let's be generous, 2-1 and against USC, which means he's got 7 wins in 24 games against teams with any kind of talent. I wonder if you boys would like to revisit the question. Uh, nope. Uh, he's, an, <laughs> he's an elite coach. He's an elite coach. Uh, uh, 100% believe he is. I love it. Um, <laughs> I would say um, we now have some data without Jake Browning that makes me think that he needs to do some very serious retooling of the offense. I think um, a very good program manager, um, very good at um, – rebuilding that entire brand into something that's um, dangerous and, and, you know, not something you're looking forward to playing Washington and certainly um, recruiting at a level good enough that Washington can very quickly rebound from what's going to probably be a little bit of a down year um, to being very good again next year. Um, All of that I think is true, but I think looking at this offense, looking at the way it runs, you know, I was expecting it to take a step up this year. And if anything, it's taken a small step back um, from where it was in the last year of Jake Browning. And I think they need to look at the whole thing and say, okay, do we need to bring in a guy who's going to run it um, and run something different and a little bit more? I, and I, I going back to that thing and thank you for the reminding me. I, I do think, 
being really good at like one or two things is a lot better than being above average at like 10 different things. Um, and especially in college football, I think in the NFL, you can be, um, more multiple, but, um, at the college level, I, you know, have, have your brand, have your identity. And I don't know what Washington's identity is offensively. Um, it doesn't seem to be any one thing. Um, so yeah, long story short, I, I think he's still an elite program manager. Um, and for all intents and purposes, that's what a head coach at the college level needs to be. But I think if he's going to, you know, really turn this into a dominant dynasty up there. And right now Oregon looks like it's going to recruit well enough to put a thorn in that side for a long time. But if it's going to be something dominant, like what Don James was doing up there for a while, um, they need to figure out this offense. Um, because I think the defense, once they get everything rounded into form, I think they're going to be back to being elite very quickly here. Um, but offensively, I just, I don't know what to make of the thing. Um, and I don't know if they're ever going to be able to have the firepower to keep up with other team uh, to, to keep up with the elite teams. Um, if they don't get that thing figured out. Yeah, I agree with you there. And then uh, here, I'm going to get a shout out to my boy, Andrew, you know, and I need, uh, if you can do this, do me a favor, Andrew, tweet me and tweet, uh, rusty and Hithliday, or I guess just, you just do rusty. Cause it goes to both of them. Um, Tweet us the tw- like twelve eye charts of why Washington is great and Chris Peterson is an elite coach. Just to let Rusty know, and so you know, so that that Andrew, I assume you'll <laughs> tweet that out pretty soon. You know, he likes the number of tweets from you know one to thirteen, and there'll be all kinds of charts on there, and he'll explain in statistical terms why Chris Peterson is an elite coach, and then then we'll uh, we'll put that to bed. Yeah. Nice. All right. We got one last one. Brad in Portland. This looks long. Okay. Hey guys. Uh, is there a subject here? True or false? Okay. For true or false, this is really long. Okay. Sometime, yeah. Yeah. Sometime during the next season, it seems like every fan base starts to wonder if they have the right guy as the head coach. Uh, this may not be the case for most head coaches the first year or two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about you, Chip. Uh, last week was a great example of this when you got the question about Washington fans wondering if Peterson was the right guy to take them to the next level. Uh, we just talked about that a little bit. If you have not, uh, if you have not hit the two hour mark at the podcast yet, I thought it might be, no, fun. just an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. We're longer than what we wanted today, but I thought it might be fun for you to review the previous head coaches uh, for each team where they might have been today. If they were still there, I listed the last two previous head coaches for both Oregon schools since they have had, Three head coaches in the last five seasons. If the podcast is going a little long, you can skip it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. As always, love listening to the podcast when it comes out, and uh, then your picks again on Sunday after the games. <laughs> nice. Okay, so let's do the head coach thing first, and then the true or false? Sure. Brad, That's Brad in Portland. Uh, head coach thing. So Arizona, Kevin Sublin, and previous was Rich Rod. I think they'd be better under Rich Rod because he was a better fit for Tate. Yeah. Two years of Tate, they wouldn't have been struggling. Yeah. Uh, Todd Graham, Herm Edwards. Exact same. I think the same. Yeah. Yeah. This is two different styles. Sonny Dykes and Justin Wilcox. Uh, they're better under Wilcox than they would have been under Dykes. Yeah. Uh, Mike McIntyre and Mel Tucker, Colorado. Uh, better than under Tucker than they would have been under McIntyre, but just barely. Yeah. It's, it's so early to tell. It's hard to tell too, but, uh, okay. For Oregon, you got Helfrich, Taggart, and then Cristobal. Better than, I think. I think Crystal Ball's the best they would have been doing. Yeah, yeah I, right I agree with that. Uh, Mike Riley, Gary Anderson, Jonathan Smith for Oregon State. I mean, Gary Anderson would be self-immolating in front of like the stadium <laughs> right now. So no, no to Gary Anderson. 
Uh, Mike Riley was fully burned out. So, yeah, Jonathan Smith. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, Harbaugh to Shaw at Stanford. Uh, Harbaugh. Yeah, I go. If Harbaugh had stuck around, I think they would have maybe even won a title or something. Yeah, I think that, that could have happened. Uh, Jim Mora to Chip Kelly. Oh, God. Um, it's it's Mora, unfortunately. Um, fully burned out Jim Mora still, I think, would be in a better shape right now. The program wouldn't be in such dire straits because he still would have recruited at a better level, even burned out, and um, he wouldn't have cut so many guys. Yeah, they'd have more than like 45 scholarship players on the team. <laughs> right. Steve Sarkeesian, right. Clay Helton. Ooh. Ooh. See, if you want to go back Ooh. to, see, if you said Orgeron, so you could go back to Orgeron because that happened, you know, I would say Orgeron. Over both of them, um, obviously he's got the number. Two would Sark have picked? Would Sark have picked Darnold to start that year? <sighs> Probably, because that's the thing. Yeah, I think it's Sark. Yeah, I would probably go with Sark. I mean, he yeah he had some issues and stuff, but I mean, as far as like on the field stuff, but I think a lot of it had to deal do deal with his off the field things. Yeah, uh, this is funny. <laughs> Kerbin Meyer, Kyle Whittingham. I mean, Urban Meyer would have created a dynasty in Utah. Yeah. He, like, it would have been several national titles. They were, like, 12-0 with, like, come on. Yeah. I mean, I, we love Whittingham, yeah. but. Uh, no, if you kept Urban Meyer for whatever that would have been, 17 years, they would have had national titles. Yeah. Multiple. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, Chris Peterson. 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 Um, yeah. Paul. And Mike Leach, Paul Wolf. Yeah. Uh, Mike Leach. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, the true yeah. false are. While being the leader in the South during the season, USC would fire Clay Helton. Um, so it's like a hypothetical true false. I get like, would they? So, I mean, tr- I'd say true. There's a scenario where that could happen, even being the leader in the South. But yeah, yeah, you can say true there and have it not be a strong logical statement. So I'll go true. Yeah, uh, UCLA would be better off to have Rick Neuheisel with or without gloves as an interim head coach the rest of the season than Chip Kelly. Long term, true. Yeah, I'd probably go true. Utah has a very good secondary that just had a herocious, uh, herocious uh, game against USC. Hmm. Uh, yes, true. Uh, I guess I'll go true. I don't know. Yeah, they were they were great against ASU. They were. Um, but man, they like honestly, and I should have mentioned this up top. Jalen Johnson had like one of the best games for a corner I've seen. He was great. He was studly, but then like he just stunk against SC. I don't know what it was. Yeah, but. it's a tough matchup. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, good stuff. We uh, and we got one more. We got one more. Oh, we we got one more. Oh, I, we got one from Keon in the Bay Area. Oh, I missed this one. Okay. Podcast questions, gentlemen. Now that UCLA has finally gotten rid of the ghost of Kevin Hogan and the eleven-game win streak for Stanford is over, what is the next most astonishing streak be pack- between Pac-12 teams? Come on, man. We don't know. <laughs> We only cover this league. I have no idea. Do you know? Uh, no. You got anything? I put notes for. See, if you would ask me a couple weeks ago, I think I had some notes on this, but I don't. I don't now. Um, yeah. Yeah. That we didn't even mention that eleven game streak is over. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's is there that. one that's crazy? Oh. Uh, that was the craziest thing. I, I think mean, that was Stanford. the craziest one. Yeah, Cal. Well, Cal Stanford. Um, I think Stanford's beat Cal like eight times in a row or something. Yeah, it's something like that. So uh, that might be the Oregon next or one. You, uh, yeah, sorry, we don't know. We don't know is the answer, Keon. <laughs> as much as Ryan likes to ruminate, um, we do not know. 
if Oregon or Utah win out, what needs to happen in the rest of the country for Oregon Utah to get into the college football playoff? Um, all right. So if we did the math on this, um, so an SEC team, at least one is getting in, but you need to limit it to absolutely just one. So Right? Yeah. LSU, Bama. It really should just be LSU or Bama. Right. Um, so have, have whoever comes out of the West sweep through and beat whoever comes out of the East in the title game. And that'll take care of making sure there's only one. As long as LSU or Bama, in the process of losing in to the other team, also loses at least one other one. Okay. So if LSU could like lose to Auburn and Bama, but Bama... Yeah, if LSU could lose to Auburn and Bama, that would be good. Um, did they already play Auburn? Or actually, the better one would be Alabama lose to both Auburn and LSU. And LSU goes in and wins the SEC. Okay. Okay. So I have LSU win it out. Um, Clemson's going to win out more than likely. And so they're going to be in no matter what. So then it comes down to the big 10 and the big 12 Um, in the big 12. um, If you could have like a Baylor or something, take a loss because their non-conference schedule was really bad, but then also beat Oklahoma. That would, that would open the door. Yep. Um, or have Ohio State lose to like something stupid like Michigan, um, and potentially would that even? I think that might even push them out of the the title game. There's what I'm saying is there's still a lot of life here, and there's a lot of scenarios where it could still happen. Um, it's just going to require some. Nobody in the Pac-12 controls their own destiny no. here. Yeah, it's gonna. It might if something weird happens, then you got a shot, but it then could even be left out at that point. So you might need more weird things to happen. Um, I mean, to me, Ohio State doesn't look like they're going to lose. I, I don't know about Oklahoma, but, you know, if those if, if it's all chalk, it's going to be really tough for... Uh, yeah, Ohio State's probably the best team in the country right now. Yeah. Um, but they have... I mean, they still have Penn State and they still have Michigan um, and Wisconsin this weekend. Um, so they've got three of their toughest opponents still to come. So you could see it. Yeah. Potential. Wisconsin just lost to Illinois. So. Yeah, but Wisconsin looked like world beaters before that. They did so, too, yeah. yeah. So they could play back, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, P.S., I was told Clay Helton would have been tarmacked by now. He is still the coach. What's up with that? Yeah. He also said, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I didn't read that. <laughs> thanks. I, I like when they thank me and not you, Dave. That's, it just makes me yeah, feel good. Yeah, it's always really nice. Yeah. It's very sweet. They know you. I have to yeah. do all the work and. Just, the heavy uh, lifting. Uh, yeah, he's not yeah. been tarmacked yet. Um, I think the biggest thing is he beat Utah. That was the biggest thing because because Urban Meyer was there. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was literally there. So beating Utah was the biggest thing that happened to Clay Helton since he won the Rose Bowl. Um, so that was a big deal. And uh, they control their own destiny in the South. And so, you know, they've lost to – BYU is kind of a crappy loss, but, you know, BYU just beat Boise State this past weekend. Uh, but, you know, you lose on the road to Washington and Notre Dame's like, eh, whatever. It's not like, I'm, I'm not saying he should have. It's like, I, he should still not be the head coach anymore, but it's not like a immediate fireable offense for someone that's an interim athletic director. If they lose to Colorado on Friday, then maybe you'll see a tarmac. But I think, it, you know, like losing to Oregon, I don't think gets you like immediately fired, but you got to lose to one of those other teams that are kind of stinky. Then, then you got a shot. Yep. Cool. All right. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, we went uh, 20 minutes longer than we should have. Yeah. But 
we're here. We only skipped one question. I wanted to skip more questions, but whatever. I know, but then we just didn't because we're dedicated to the craft. Or I suggested you skip one. <laughs> you said no. And it's yeah. just like, screw it. You know, that's good. I mean, they're great questions, you know. We love questions. But we only we can love... take one from Rusty slash Hitler We can't take both. Uh, no, no, we can't do that. No. All right. Uh, anything else, Dave? You good? Oh, God, I'm so good. Okay. Let's get the hell out of here. That's David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so so much for tuning in to the podcast of Champions. Enjoy all the games this weekend, and we will talk to you next time.